0: welcome everyone to this episode of star wars generations podcast we're talking about the first movie in the prequels according to the new numbering system the first of the star wars movies the phantom menace uh, and i'm here as always joined by aaron mcgowan and alex corman and i'm really excited guys because i'm really looking forward to hearing more of what you had to say about this movie um i am one of those old farts who saw it and did not love it and probably because a lot of that was the expectations i brought in being uh, such a fan of the originals when i was a kid, and. I've really found there's something value about being able to listen to others and hear different perspectives and, and also talk about my own in terms of how much some of the other stuff that I've watched and other things that I've uh, uh, read um, in the Star Wars universe has really helped change my appreciation for a lot of things in this movie. So I'm looking forward to a great conversation, but I want to do a couple quick things first. First, I want to talk about just a little bit of listener feedback we got. Um, and one came directly to Erin, which I really appreciated her sharing with us that I want to share with everybody now. Eileen Kengany uh, texted into Aaron, uh, and this was after the how, Who Is Your Ahsoka episode where Aaron and Alex talked a lot about getting to meet um, God, uh, Ashley actress- Eckstein. Ashley Eckstein, thank you so much, and how much it meant to them and how much, you know, these the characters from the Clone Wars TV show meant to them. Uh, and Eileen wrote, Hi there, I've been listening for a while and I'm a big fan of the show. I'm listening to the Who Is Your Ahsoka episode and I really appreciate Aaron and Alex's vulnerability. You're missed, Matthew. I love how you all have created such a safe and accepting place to be a Star Wars fan. Thank you. Also, I think the whole Ghost crew is my Ahsoka.
1: I love that when I saw that, because it's like, it's funny, thinking back on that episode we recorded, it's one of the first ones we did with, like, Alex as, like, a Mm co-host. And I just remember, like, crying. (laughs) Just crying. And, like, I don't know, I guess I never really felt like, it's just like, that's me, I'm super emotional, but, like. The feedback of, like, how that actually came across as, like, genuine and vulnerable, like, I really appreciate hearing that.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah, I love that. And to me, that's exactly what we want to create with this podcast is there are podcasts out there that will tell you all about, like, would the T95 do better against the T91 and and which lightsaber is cooler? And that's great. I'm glad that content's out there. We'll hit a little bit of that, but mostly what we're here to talk about is the way these make us feel and make us think, uh, and Alex is showing that uh, he has a t-shirt on with all the different lightsabers. I'm going to remind <laughs> Alex that we're not streaming yet. This is still radio, not video. He's a child of the video generation, so he doesn't know radio, <laughs> um, but we will be streaming soon, which is a cool thing I want to tell people about. The other thing I wanted to quick tell people about, um, you may have heard this already if you are a member, but we have officially launched our Star Wars book club. Uh, We started with a conversation of Republic Commandos, which is a great series of books. Uh, It's the first of a great series of books from the Legends canon, but it deeply influenced the Clone Wars TV show. And we're definitely going to be talking about that when we get to the um, Attack of the Clones next week. But the book club is something you only get to hear if you're part of the membership. Um, Membership is only $5 a month, $55 a year. You get ad-free content. You get bonus content on almost every episode. Now, in this episode, sometimes we just don't have the time, but most of the time you get it. And now we're actually doing whole, whole episodes, one a month, uh, of bonus content just for the members. And for February, we're going to be doing The Dark Disciple. Uh, sorry, for February, we're going to be doing Star Wars Dark Disciple, which is a phenomenal novel that has some relevance to upcoming media that you may have heard about or may not have heard about, depending on how much you are following news of things, and we're not going to spoil what that is. Uh, but we will talk about it quite a lot on the... Uh, on that podcast so if you're a member oh thank you so much if you haven't become a member please think about doing so all the information is in the show notes and with that let's go back to and with that let's get to our actual discussion of the phantom menace and let me just start by asking each of you tell me about the first time you saw the movie
2: oh man um i don't know if i can exactly pinpoint the exact how old i was um i was shown i was kind of shown the majority of them in kind of one, one, not really one shot, but my dad showed me the originals when I was probably five. And I think I first saw Phantom maybe a year later when I was six. Um, and I knew nothing outside of this original trilogy. Um, and I guess I, when I was six, just to clarify, that would have been 2003. So maybe we've been out for about four years. Um, so you and didn't I just remember. I did not see the theaters. I I fun fact for y'all, I, the first movie Star Wars movie I saw live in theaters was episode 7. Um, it's because my mom did not yeah. let me see episode 3 in theaters. Um, but um I all I remember is that like as a as a kid, I, I loved the jet. I loved I loved waving my lightsaber around. I loved being so like having so many Jedi on the screen, I think got me more excited than the original. I was like I didn't appreciate the in depth dialogue and storytelling of the originals until a little bit older. As a kid, I was like, oh my god, Darth Maul, double lightsaber, crazy lightsabers flying around. This is so cool, so much going on. Um, so I really liked it a lot when I first watched it, and I probably liked it even more than the originals when I was six or seven years old.
0: Mm-hmm. Aaron? That's awesome. That's
1: awesome. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, similar to you, I don't really have a clear memory of um, watching this movie for the first time. It's just kind of like always been there. It's just a go to, yeah. you know? It's just part of my childhood. The Gungans, Padme, the Pod Race. as pod m- race. T- Yeah.
2: Pod Racing. Mm-hmm. I, th- I actually have more of a core memory of the Pod Racing video game and arcades than I do of watching the movie for the first time. Same. Same. That. <laughs> that-,
0: that- That's fascinating, because I have to admit, one of my core memories is the X-Wing video game. Uh, It may have even been called Star Wars, but it was an old arcade-style game. This was in the 80s that I played it, Uh, very blocky, sort of geometric shapes. Um, But I got to play, like, the the trench run again and again and again. And and so I kind of wonder if that influenced my love of the trench run scene in the same kind of way that you're talking Mm. about there. Yeah,
2: Matthew, was that the game with the with the joystick, like right in the middle of it? You would kind of use to maneuver the ship.
0: It was, it was, and there was both a stand up version of it, and there was also kind of like a sit down version of it. That probably cost like fifty cents instead of twenty five cents because video games used to be affordable at the arcades. I, you know, Matthew,
2: if you're ever interested, have you been to Can Can Wonderland in St. Paul? I have not. Uh, so it's a great local arcade. With beer and live music and stuff, and they have that game, and they have the pod racing game right next to each other. Okay. And I always go beer in hand and just drink my beer as I pod race, and then go over <laughs> and I and I freaking I, I pilot the X wing, and they have the other game where you can uh you can be in the um the the uh, the, the I can't remember what the wing was called. And Hoth, the Battle of Hoth, and like shoot at the ATATs. It's, it's a magical experience, y'all.
0: So fun. Uh For the sake of any children listening, we are by. For the sake of anyone listening, we are not by any means endorsing uh, drinking while operating any motorized vehicle, whether it be Pod, Racer, X-Wing, or actual car. (coughs)
1: That was funny. Great
0: clarification. But that does sound like a lot of fun, and we are looking for sponsors, so perhaps we can get this arcade to sponsor us. Um, And if nothing else, for Minnesota fans, we'll plan a field trip. Mm
2: Mm-hmm. (laughs)
0: Let me talk a little bit about my first time seeing the movie uh, in the theaters. I think most of you have heard already about my first time seeing the movie in theaters. Um, I saw it on the night of my last final, the day of of my last semester in college. We saw it with a whole bunch of our friends. We were super excited. We waited in line starting at like 8 p.m. for a midnight showing. Uh, This was, you know, there was a time before the internet. You had to go buy tickets in person and line up in person and all that. And tough. it was very disappointing. It was very much not what we had hoped for. And I think a lot of that is because of, uh, you know, all the expectations we had. I don't know if anything would have met those. And I think that was unfair to the movie. I think also there's some legit critiques we're going to make of the movie. But I think also a lot of it has aged really well for me in terms of things that I see now. And I'm like, yeah, OK, this really works. Um, can,
2: I, can I ask a quick question? What did you expect going into it? Like what what didn't meet your
0: expectations, I guess? I expected good writing. I expected Rough. good acting. Um, I, I, okay, so that sounds really cruel, but I just think like <laughs> – I guess more like my question is
2: did you have a – like were you upset because you had a specific idea of what the prequels would look like in your head for the last decade and a half? Or was it because you were just disappointed of, of the actual execution or both?
0: I think there was a couple of things. I think there were a lot of canon breaks, which I didn't love. And we can talk about those or not because they've been done to death. Um, Mostly, though, it just felt – it really felt like it was for kids. And I know Star Wars is and always should be for kids. But George Lucas has been on record as saying that he very intentionally wanted this movie to be for even younger kids than the original was. And I felt like that really, really came through. And – I think part of why that was so disappointing was, A, because I just never – I never felt caught up in the story. I never really felt that I cared about anything, in, in part because that's just a problem with a prequel. Like, I know Anakin lives. I know who he becomes. I know he's going to be trained. Um, But also because – and I think this is kind of one of the fundamental flaws of the prequels as a whole. And I really didn't want this to be all about me bashing them. But, you know, this is where we are right now and I want to hear more about what you guys like but also what you didn't like. I think the prequels tried to do two things at once. On the one hand, it tried to cover much more adult content than the original movies had. Because the original movies are about a battle of good versus evil in fairly stark fundamental terms, very clear black and white ideas with the idea that one particular person can turn back from evil and be good again. This movie is about the slow fall into corruption and evil as done by behind-the-scenes political and economic machinations over decades to slowly expose the problems of the Jedi and lead to the fall of Anakin Skywalker and tell it in a story that will make sense to six-year-olds. And, like, there's a part of me that kind of feels like the story of Darth Sidious and Anakin's fall needed something much more like the andor telling or even like i mean the bad batch today is much more i think it's animated but it feels much more adult themed in terms of like the depth and the the darkness and the uh, emotional complexity it's willing to handle i felt like this was both covering very complex nuanced topics and doing it a very ham-fisted way
1: yeah i think that's pretty valid i mean looking back kind of your question before, like, what did you notice first time or whatever? Um, I have no recollection of anything Senate related until I literally watched this movie two years ago. Yeah. Like, the idea true. of a vote of no confidence meant nothing to me. Yeah. Like, I had no idea about any of the political nuances. Like you're saying, that was put into a movie that was geared towards children. I watched it as a children and it meant nothing to me. I enjoyed it a lot for the other things but yeah that material was just too complicated for me and I think that they were trying to do something in a way that both audiences could enjoy it Mm -hmm. and I mean as a child it worked out I didn't really miss the stuff that I missed but I can see as an adult feeling just kind of like put off by like all these big huge ideas and then it's like there's all these like comedic breaks
2: right Yeah, I kind of agree and I I think that like you know, in, in recent eras, you know, we've seen political machinations and the in-depth of the, of the in, in like, in-depth, um, you know, exposés on that in Andor done exceptionally well. Mm-hmm. And I think that, and, you know, I, it, to, to a degree, I feel like Phantom Menace's attempts at that walk so Andor could run, like, you know, it, it felt like we kind of dipped the toe in Phantom Menace's detailed, you know, political backgrounds and trade disputes and all this stuff that also went over my head as a kid. I was like, I don't know what this is, but You know, there's some cool people with lightsabers and, you know, there's this awesome pod racing scene. And I was able to follow the general plot. Um, And I think I appreciated the political stuff as I get older. And now, as as an adult fan, one of my favorite parts of Star Wars as a whole is, like, the really intricate backdoor dealings that created the Empire and how the Empire functioned and how the Rebellion functioned. But I understand, like, that they weren't really hashed out well and it was all very surface level in this movie. And so it Mm -hmm. kind of was like – Well, if you're going to explore this, explore it. If you're not, then why are you bringing up so much of it just to kind of like, I don't know, not get to a point? Gloss over it. Yeah, I get get that.
0: I think you make a really good point that it does introduce the story. Like, I think one of the best ways I've come to describe, I think the prequels in general, but especially this one, is a really interesting story that I really want to know, told by someone who's just not a very good storyteller. You know, which to me is the exact opposite of like Rise of Skywalker, which I think is like a great storyteller telling a ridiculously dumb story. Um But I'm oh not sure. Not Rise of Skywalker. Uh, yeah, Rise of Skywalker. We'll hash um, that out later. Yeah. Again, love <laughs> Ray. Love that. But anyway, we'll
2: hash that out later. I have my thoughts
0: for sure. For sure.
2: Um, um but I mean, like, like I mean, like, as I was watching the first, like, this time around, I was really paying attention and taking notes, and like. It's just crazy that that like after you know I mean okay let's see nineteen eighty three was when Return came out um, and then so it's been what 15, sixteen years? years and they yep. open up the new Star Wars with sending two Jedi as ambassadors to handle a trade dispute. That's how yeah. they open the beginning of this new era. Like that is very like just it's it's hard for a young a young kid to follow. Um, and also for adults, it's like, why are we opening in this weird kind of like, I don't know, it, it, it felt like a weird choice to open up an entire Star Wars uh, trilogy with. Um, and it didn't feel like, it felt like it, it really got it going in a very slow burn that didn't really pick up until, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes into the movie.
0: Let me ask you guys this, because I think it's also, it, it shapes a big part of how I see this movie, but I'm wondering if it was different for you. As kids, were you scared of the droids? Not even a little bit.
1: I don't remember being afraid of the droids in this movie. Um, I do remember being super afraid of like the super battle droids and the commandos in the Clone Wars.
2: Mm-hmm. I was afraid of the. Dro- I, I was afraid of some of the things in the Clone War and uh, Attack of the Clones. I think was a little more messy. I, I felt like the when I was a kid, I thought the droids were kind of silly.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, it, like the droidicas
2: are sick. The droidicas are sick, but, but like the, the, B-1 the battle standard droids? battle droids. <laughs> Check it out, Corporal. I'll cover you. Roger, roger.
0: <laughs> yeah, it, it felt like they were slapstick, you know, in a way that the stormtroopers were never – the stormtroopers had t- terrible aim and that becomes the butt of a joke. But, you know, I, I think that was one of the other things that really threw me is that I never felt a sense of menace. Um, I was also old enough to recognize how racist the Trade Federation was, um, which was certainly a problem. Um
2: yeah, it also went over my head as a child. I did not realize how Straight racist older. Phantom Meta was until yeah, I course. Phantom Menace was until I got older.
0: I mean yeah. in the same way, I didn't notice that Lando Calrissian was the only, you know, dark colored person. Uh I didn't notice that Lando Calrissian was the only person of color who plays any meaningful part uh until much later. You know, so mm-hmm. I think that that's that's again totally valid.
2: Yeah. And also I mean, as a kid I didn't realize this, but like watching it this time, man, I do I do like Phantom Menace. The CGI does not hold up. It's
0: rough. At all. Like, at all. Like, Charger yeah. Binks looks like, oh, my God. Yeah. And I do think that there's another part of it, which is that I think the movie was massively overhyped. Um, I Part of why, I, like, I was trying hard not to have any th- thoughts going into it, but was that I saw so much of it in the trailers, in the previews. Like, you asked me before on a different episode— how I felt the first time that Darth Maul unveils that double-sided lightsaber, I think if I had seen it for the first time in the movie theater, I would have been so excited about that one moment that I wouldn't have cared about anything else. Um, but because I'd seen it a thousand times in ads, it just had lost all effect for me.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: That being That's said, That's such a bummer they did that.
0: Yeah. That being said, I still think it's one of the top three lightsaber fights in all of Star Wars. Like. Yeah. 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 So what are things that you loved as kids that have held up?
2: Have held up. (laughs) I think the pod racing holds up. Is the CGI great? No, CGI is not good. But I mean, it's still fun to watch. Can you define ho- – like, is. what do you mean by holds up? Like, story-wise or, like, visually?
0: <laughs> I'm trying so hard to be like, look, I don't want this to be me bashing it as the older fan. You guys tell me what you love about it, and you're like, nah, it kind of sucks. Okay, no, 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 no. Here's the thing. Okay, but it's like – I love I, – I, I can love I
2: can love it deeply. Like, I have a very – a lot of it's tied to nostalgia and um, growing up with it, but I also recognize – how many shortcomings and failures it has. I mean, if, we, if you recall, in my list of movies, it was still in the bottom three. Yeah. Right. Um, like, it's like, yeah. I recognize it's objectively not, like, the, a great, great movie. Um, but like, I think that for me, like, I mean, the thing that holds up the, the most for me is is the Duel of the Fates. I mean, if we want to just, you know, briefly discuss that, I mean, I consider that might be my single favorite score, maybe, in all of Star Wars. It's definitely in the top three. and. Yeah. I, I, I as a kid, I had not seen, I was not watching trailers as a child. Um, And so, the first time I saw that double bladed lightsaber, I lost my mind. And I, like, you know, I think that was also one of the few times, like, I mean, my mom was very careful what I was allowed to watch as a kid. And, like, seeing Qui Gon die was one of my first introductions to, like, a death on screen. Um, And so, like, I think that seeing one of my heroes, one of my my characters I was really loving, die was, like, it was it was a crazy emotional moment for me as a child, and then my and then I, I think that that moment is probably what solidified Obi Wan as my favorite Jedi that continues to this day because I got to see young Ewan McGregor, like um you know get revenge or you know you know whatever um but he defeats them all in honor of his his fallen master um and it was like such a a powerful crazy moment for me that to this day. I am – it's like I'm watching a live wrestling match. I am shouting at my television like, get him, Obi-Wan! Get his ass! And and as soon as, like, Maul gets cut in half, I'm cheering running around the room. And I've seen this movie so many times and I'm still yelling at every moment of that that duel. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's
1: probably the thing that stands up the most. That is just the best. Um, I personally also love – like all the stuff on Naboo, as in like, in the actual palace on Naboo, because that was also a really fun yeah. thing to play in the Lego game. Yep. Um, so just watching it back is so fun being like, oh, I remember this. Oh, I remember how you have to unlock Anakin and use his tiny body to crawl through this thing mm-hmm. to get the extra thing mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. so yeah. that just like that setup has a lot of nostalgia and memories for me.
0: I can totally see that. If I can, totally if I can just uh,
2: throw out a, a little Easter egg, if you watch that, the scene of them invading the, the the initial invasion of the palace and Padme is in her red dress looking out at the invasion, if you pause the movie at that point, you'll notice the wire that plugs into the wall to light up her dress. <laughs>
0: that's, a fun, that's a fun fact.
2: So next time you watch, check it out.
0: <laughs> I will also say, and here's an example of where the other material, I think, has really helped me enjoy this movie a lot more. For me, there's two primary things, because um, and I'll, I'll, like I do think of things like the Clone Wars, a lot of the stuff that relates back to it. I think um, The Last Jedi makes me like this a lot more, because I think it, it, it confirms that, yes, we are supposed to be really critical of the Jedi during this time. But it's two books that really changed my view of this movie into a much more positive way. One is Darth Plagueis, the um, yeah. uh, Legends novel, which I do think I miscorrected Alex, and it is Darth Plagueis, not Plagueis, um, so Alex can have a moment of vindication, because um, that movie really gives that this, this whole story from the Sith back from looking at it through Sidious's eyes and Plagueis's eyes. Because one of the ideas is that Sidious is still the apprentice during all this, because he's sort of the public face, and it is a wonderful telling, and it really helps set up, I think, a lot of things really well. It's not canon anymore. It's not the Disney canon, but it is still being referenced clearly a lot. But the other, and these are very much canon, I definitely want to get you guys to read them eventually, are the uh, Queen's Peril books by E.K. Johnson. Because they are books that tell this story. uh, I think it's the middle one that does this from Padme's perspective and from the perspective of the other handmaidens. And so there's moments where, for example, you know, you get that harrowing uh, video from Naboo of saying your people are suffering you have to come back and sign the treaty and Obi-Wan says in this very kind of condescending way it's a trick you can't do it and the minute he walks off screen Padme and all of her handmaidens are like of course it's a trick you idiot like we know this stop patronizing us and yeah they really go a lot into how the whole like her dressing the way she does and how her using her makeup and her hair it's all a weapon it's all part of a disguise to get people to not take her seriously and to allow her to like you know be a a spy and to 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 have much more effect on things and so yeah those things really added a lot and because i do think that in this movie padme comes off as kind of a twit um which i think is unfortunate because i think that there's so much to her character that could have been there
2: well it's it's crazy because she does come across the way at first like, she's just like by herself going out with Qui-Gon and a Tatooine when it's dangerous and all these things. But then at the end, you realize that she deceived two Jedi. For some mm-hmm. ta- like ha- like, like That's yeah. that's not an easy thing to do, to deceive yeah. a Jedi. Like that is wild. And I think that was the first time I realized, I was like, oh, wait, Padme is like, like, legit powerful. <laughs> like
0: yeah. yeah. Did you guys guess? When, when did you guess that it was a, a decoy or did you, were you totally surprised in that moment?
2: As I a, don't remember. I can't remember. I just, I'll be honest. Yeah, that's very- this, this is this I, is me, back known. deep in the memories. Yep. Um,
1: I did. That was something I wrote down though. Is just like how interesting the like shell game of Padme is throughout this entire movie, mm-hmm. and they did a really good job. I mean, I I believe they used Kira Knightley as the main decoy because mm-hmm. they look so similar, and the way that she like um. Changes the tone of her voice and really brings it down and disguises, like, her voice. And then that way the handmaidens can mimic it in such, like, a recognizable way. Yeah. And that way when she isn't the queen, she can – people would never know. And so it's really just, like, this very smart political thing that they've worked out for her safety and for her to be able to, like you said, kind of on Tatooine, see so much more than a queen normally would. Right. Like to really be in with the people. And like, I mean, that's Padme's whole thing. It's like understanding the people. Yeah. And so, yeah, it was just a really cool way to like introduce this side of her character. Even if kind of she was underplayed throughout this film
0: a bit. I yeah. think you're right. I think I take back what I said about her seeming like a twit. Because I think you're right. It's, it's part of the act in a lot of ways. Um, I just kind of the, wish they'd the, given her more to do. The, um, the only
2: thing that bothered me about her performance, I don't know if it bothered either you two at the very very end why is she making eyes at nine year old Anakin she is ma- she is biting her lip making eyes at, a, at 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 this infant child like like what
0: <laughs> yeah it's that uh, sorry Especially I when one he's one. just gotten his rat tail
2: he just got his <laughs> rat tail <laughs> and <laughs> I also want to point this out. You can cut this, Matthew, but I thought this was really funny. I know, I'd never noticed this before. But at the very end, when Padme hands the orb to Boss Nas, um, mm-hmm. I don't know if they just CGI'd it poorly. He is not looking at her eyes. He's looking straight at her chest. There is <laughs> no. no eye contact. Directly at her chest. And I, I could not. But when I saw it, I couldn't unsee it.
0: I have never noticed I gotta it. I got to rewatch. But I think probably because the first time I was so frustrated by we got to that point, And I think I generally just turn it off before we get there. So... Um, but rough. I'm glad you're here for that investigative journalism. Uh, he's a <laughs> journalist, folks. That's so my job. Resident bring journalist. He's things that make us feel really creeped out and uncomfortable. <laughs> um, <laughs> let me. Let's talk about Qui Gon some. What What is your t- like? So you really love Qui Gon? Alex is making lots of gestures. Uh, we really need to get uh, this streaming on video. Alex, what What do you love about Qui Gon?
2: Um. Okay. I have some notes here. I I, so I think that Qui Gon, um was honestly he was smarter than the Jedi a lot of the Jedi council was like I you know quigon um you know he wasn't you know, he wasn't perfect by any means but he was like willing to accept it like and 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 notice the flaws in the jedi order or the flaws and how they become so stagnant and so comfortable and he had a lot of the, what the council considered radical beliefs and ideas and he was the one who was like the sit their back like this kid could be you know the one from the prophecy like you know like he was like my like his eyes felt way more open to me um and you know he also i think would just he played very loosely around the rules which i really appreciate for a jedi in that like you know obi-wan was really old when he took him on as an apprentice and like no one knows what he wanted to take obi-wan on as an apprentice when qui-gon anakin? did Anakin, and what did you say
1: anakin you were saying obi-wan mm.
2: No, Obi-Wan. Like, it's Obi-Wan as well. Like, when, when Qui-Gon – there's a book. I can't remember what it was. I read it a while ago. but Brotherhood. Obi- oh, okay. I thought Obi-Wan you were was talking older, about now. Oh, no, and Master Qui-Gon apprentice. chose to take him on anyway. But also Anakin. And, like, you know, I think that, like, I, I want to, I want our listeners to know – I was very tired when I watched this movie, and I, one of my notes was Qui-Gon was truly unhinged and just wheeling and dealing as he saw fit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which I think is a really honest description of how I see Qui-Gon, is he truly was just kind of doing whatever he thought was right, um, and <laughs> he, he had a he strong is much more chaotic compass.
0: good than when the rest of them are lost. Yeah, yeah, and,
2: and you know, the, the last thing I, I'll say, because I think it's a good moment to bring it up, is I think that in the moment during Duel of the Fates where the ratio cuts everyone off, you get to see the true personalities of all three of those characters. Like, Maul's impatience as he's pacing back and forth. Obi-Wan, um, you know, trying to kind of hold his patience, saying, like, standing still, but really eager to run out there. And Qui-Gon, the only one who calmly turns his lightsaber off, only one, kneels down and starts meditating. Like, taking the time to meditate, to be peaceful. And it shows that, like, It might seem like he's making, like, rash decisions in the movie, but he really is very calculated and calm when he needs to be and, like, knows Mm -hmm. what to do, you know, in in these intense situations. And it just always felt like he was this really wise guy who, if he had survived, probably would have helped prevent Anakin's fall. Like, I think his death just derailed Anakin to levels that we probably don't discuss enough, so – Well, that's something that
0: that Lucas and others have said explicitly is that that's why it's called Duel of the Fates because it's kind of the duel for the soul of Anakin. Yep.
1: Yeah, I feel like for me, Qui-Gon is, like, as much as, you know, he battles with the Jedi Council or whatever, like, he is what a Jedi should be, you know? Preach. Like, they're all just, like, running around. Like you're saying, they're all, like, waiting to jump into battle, and he's like, okay, let me take this time and, like, actually meditate the way that i should and i think that's just like it's just cool to see that at the top of the film in a or the top of the trilogy in a character that it's like is then taken away in a way that when you get to revenge of the sith that leaves you kind of reminiscing on qui-gon and like thinking about you know just what you were saying duel of fates what would it be like if he was here
0: Mm -hmm. yeah like Mm -hmm. rebels is a lot on my mind because i just finished watching it and doing a uh podcasting about every episode on it also on this podcast but one thing i think a lot about is kanan jarrus as this like mm. he's also the epitome of like what a jedi should be and yet he i mean he has a lover he has a child of that lover he clearly has deep attachments to people he doesn't have attachment in that he's able to you know do the things that a jedi is supposed to do but he he doesn't have the all-or-nothing attitude that mason yoda and others will preach and i kind of think that like qui-gon would have really approved of kanan You know, well, like the others would have looked bad on him. Now, let's talk, though, about some of the ethics of the wheeling and dealing of Mr. Qui-Gon Jinn. I do have questions. Let's say I go to a kind of really backwater part of the world, uh, part that is underdeveloped, probably been colonized. But but for whatever reason, the American dollar is not taken there as a form of currency uh, and is not going to be worth anything. And I meet someone who can sell me what I need. I don't yet know that he's a slave owner, so I have no reason to think this person's, like, bad or evil. And I try to use a mental trick to convince this person to sell me something for a credit that won't help him in any way and basically will just be like he lost it and and he has a worthless thing in his hand now. Is that not stealing?
1: I see no issue. (laughs) I genuinely see no issue. Because here's the thing. This is why we all love Rogue One. This is why we all love Andor. Because both sides have to do bad things. Like, in order to get anywhere. Like, they are stranded on a planet. There is a planet, you know, a system being destroyed by the Trade Federation. He's not going to just sit on his ass. He's Qui-Gon Jinn. Like, he's going to do what he's got to do. Even if it's a little shady, but like.
2: (laughs) And also, I don't think it's like, to be fair, like, you know, this guy, you know, Watto. I actually wrote something down. First and foremost. Quagga just trusts this guy, this, this sketchy junk dealer. He's the first one he visits, and he waddles just like, I'm the one who has this part. And Quagga's just like, you're right. I'm not going to check anywhere else. <laughs> I am taking your word. Stupid of him. But if that really yeah. is the only one, you know, I think that, like Aaron said, I mean, he's not, like, threatening him with the point of a blade. He's just like, you know, I'm going to take one part from this guy who has a massive operation here. Like, he clearly is doing fine. He, like... He has multiple slaves, which, you know, oh, be, oh,
0: is... Qui- I watch carefully. Qui-Gon does not know that yet.
2: Fair. He knows that he has at least one child worker. <laughs> um, <laughs>
0: That's
1: true. That should be seen as a problem regardless. <laughs>
2: um, but either way, I think that, like, Qui-Gon can sense that Waddle is kind of a, a shady, sketchy guy. And, like, I don't know. Like, I mean, is it ethical? Not per se. I thought, Matthew, you were going to bring up the fact that he basically kidnaps a child from his mother,
0: I mean, we're also going to talk about that. But I I think uh, what you said, Aaron, I think is exactly what I am in that because at first you were like, no, I have no problem with it all. But then you said, yeah, it is shady, but it's okay." And I think that's what I am. It's like, yeah, I do think it's like it's stealing. He is stealing from Watto. We later find out Watto is, you know, a slave owner and I have no problems leaving from slave owners. I agree with you, Alex, that he also appears kind of um, shady to begin with. I I hate that because it's so much a walking, talking, anti-Semitic stereotype, like I think if you get like someone talking about the anti-Semitism of Watto, the anti-Japanese-ness and, and Asian-ness of the Trade Federation or the anti-blackness and anti caribbeanness especially of the Gungans, like you could have quite an argument of which it's more mm-hmm. offensive to. Um, but, but yeah, I think you're right. I think that's what I like about it is that it, it is kind of shady and it is kind of underhanded and um, it's not what a proper Jedi should probably be doing, but it's what's needed.
2: I mean, Anakin, he even, I mean, he even like rigs the dice roll to make sure he gets Anakin yep. um, instead of instead of Shmee. Right. Um,
1: yeah.
2: I also wanted to just... He's a little
1: just, cheater, cheater.
2: I have another little <laughs> Easter egg. There's a bunch of this movie, but in mm-hmm. Wado's shop, when you first see Jar Jar messing with the little droid, if you look in the background, they had one of the original 3PO costumes in the back that Anthony uh, Daniels wore in the original trilogy.
0: That's nice. That's a fun, fun fact. I, I will. That actually gives me a point to bring up. Um, well, actually, let me. Let me so that, that brings up something I wanted to discuss, and we'll, we'll keep talking about Qui Gon, but I want to use this as an interjection. What did you guys think of the inclusion of C3P on R2D2 in this? I actually also
2: wrote about that, and I was curious what your thought about that was,
0: because it's weird to
2: me that so much of Star Wars takes place and centers around Tatooine. And including Anakin, Luke, C-3PO, and R2. Like, all of their origin stories center basically around this planet. Not R2. I mean, R2 saved them so they could get to Tatooine. That's his origin.
0: Yeah, I, I, I would say the three. I wouldn't say R2's origin story is Naboo.
2: Okay. All right. Either either way. But even but just But yeah, there's three, still a lot
0: happening. There's a, <laughs> lo-
2: there's a lot happening at Tatooine for a planet that, like, is supposed to be just an outer rim that- dust bowl. Right. nobody knows about yeah right exactly <laughs> and so like and i don't know like anakin building 3po like it just throws me off in a lot of ways because like you know you would think that he would have such a close love of that droid and instead he's in love with r2d2 and it like, doesn't really care about 3po as much and like constantly just kind of like bullying him and really never acknowledges him as like this droid that he built just forgets about him leaves him behind um and, like, in the in, – in, in you know, he would have – Vader would have recognized him later in the original. Like it breaks canon to a degree. Like, I get it. Like, you want to give, you want to give him a cool little origin story, but it, it did feel forced to me.
0: Uh, Aaron had a point you wanted to make, I think. I'm sorry, Aaron. Yeah, I
1: mean – no, you're good. To me, the thing with Anakin being mean to 3PO, as a perfectionist, I relate to that. Because if I made something and it turned out to be a walking, talking, like – fucking annoying box i'd be pissed Are you like kidding? i would want to shut it down anytime no okay, i ahead. never want children don't you worry about that that's not on my agenda at all
0: um, and There's nothing for with that reason or anything. It was just, as you're saying that i'm thinking like that's what creating a child is
1: like, yeah i know we're not gonna do that that's not gonna be that's not gonna be it for me um that's fair
0: that's but
1: fair. <laughs> and then i had kind of forgotten about their separate origins um until i rewatched it like i said like 2 years ago and i do think it's kind of sweet that it's like yeah anakin made this droid 3po and even though it annoys the hell out of him like he knows it's well made so what does he do he gives it to padme
2: to like care it, for him he yeah. leaves it behind it first and then doesn't get it for another 10 years
0: well cuz he says he gave it to, he he gave it for his mother i'm Fair. not really sure how a protocol droid would help her um, an unfinished one too <laughs> here's my thought about it is as i was watching it this time i think this is something i never really picked up thought about in these terms before but i really think about this now one of the things that some of the fans who i have disagreements with will often bring up in terms of uh the sequels is that there's too much fan service and they say that about ahsoka and they said about obi-wan to me this movie is the shining example of bad unwanted fan service because I think, and to me, what I felt like at the time was that they were doing Obi-Wan and they, they, they were doing the, like, oh, look, here's how C-3PO first met R2-D2. You older fans, you might not like the kid stuff, but that's for you. And I was yeah. like, F you, don't do that, especially if it's going to break canon. Like, because right. it doesn't make, as you said, it doesn't make any sense. Obi-Wan is supposed to have no idea who this R2 droid is. Um, So, yeah, it... it Um, it just felt like I totally get I think the sweetness of it is there I think if they figured out a way to do it without breaking canon and they sort of do that in the third movie though it still doesn't really make much sense um, I'd be more okay with it but it just
2: (sighs) yeah I I don't know I I mean it it still kind of breaks in I mean it's one line of canon but I do agree that like Obi-Wan spent so much time with Anakin in R2-D2 and the fact that he's like I don't remember owning a droid (laughs) very silly Yeah. yeah I do have yeah, a- that's
1: something like.
2: Go ahead, Aaron.
1: I've never really thought about because, like, growing up with it, it's like, yeah, they've just always been there. They're just part of the story. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's like it doesn't make a ton of sense to add them in at this point. So I can understand your frustration, Matthew.
0: Yeah, I, uh, I, was just I think g- there's a number of other things, like, like, um uh, God, I can't remember his name. Jar Jar continually saying that's so wooed. Which is clearly a reference to C3PO saying that's so rude. Um, You know, there's just a lot of like callbacks to the original movies in ways that I didn't think were needed. Hey, we
2: we got a reverse, an unintentional fan service when we got Aura Singh watching the pod race.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Um, no, I love that.
2: I I was going to ask, if if, if you don't mind me changing gears for a second, um, you you know, question for for either one of you, but um, I guess more for Matthew at first is. The original movie, the original three movies, unknown actors, no one knew who Harrison Ford, Mark Hamill, Carrie Fisher really were to the level that they do, you know, now, obviously. Phantom Menace comes along, Samuel Jackson, Natalie Portman, Liam Neeson, um, you know, you have some really –
1: Heavy hitters.
2: Established actors in this movie. Do you think that that – took you out of it do you think that that was like a detriment they, they kind of like you know it, would you have preferred to see more i mean like ewan mcgregor i think was a little unknown at the time to larger audiences but right by and large a lot of the major players were really well-known actors did, did you think that took away from anything do you feel like that you know took you out of it at all
0: well first i do want to say that peter cushing and alec guinness the people who played um, yes uh grandma tarkin and uh uh, Obi- the original Obi Wan Kenobi were very well known actors at the yes. time. I didn't know them as a kid, but my parents certainly did. Sure. I I think that it did, but not because they were big names, but just because I knew they were better than this. Like mm. I, and it, uh, this is a very subjective opinion. I think Natalie uh, uh, important the last the only thing most people see Natalie Portman in was The Professional, in which she's basically playing a twelve year old kid who is an, who wants to be an assassin who has been deeply traumatized by witnessing the murder of her parents. And it's a very adult role in a very uncomfortable way because she is also very sort of sexually precocious in ways that are meant to be very uncomfortable. And the actress plays them brilliantly. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And I just think the... I think it is more due to writing and directing than acting talent. But I think that... I never believed any of these characters. I, I believed that Samuel Jackson was reading lines because Samuel Jackson wanted to be a Jedi. I never – he didn't come across to me as a Jedi. Uh, Natalie Portman came across to me as someone who was reading lines. Uh, same with Jake Lloyd. Same with these other characters. I just – I thought the acting was abysmal. Like, And I, I, I still think it is one of the worst parts in the movie.
2: Yeah, that's yeah. fair.
1: There's definitely rough spots. (laughs) One thing, this isn't any of the main characters, but something that stuck out to me this time around watching the pod race is that every single time they show Padme, Shmi, Qui-Gon, and Jar Jar watching the pod race, Shmi does the exact same reaction of looking away because she simply can't bear to watch. And I'm like, did you just play the same clip over and over? Because, like, I know the other actors are doing different things, but, like, can we give this actress a little bit of breathing room? Like, stop giving her the same damn cue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, let her do something new.
0: Yeah. Because, like, and, Shmeet and cut is. From that
2: to fan service for Matthew. They gave you some Jabba the Hutt. Why are you complaining? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, and that's
1: exactly I'm saying. It's okay, Matthew. Point. Jabba hated the pod racing, too.
0: Yeah,
2: there you go. Jabba there did go. hate the pod racing. <laughs>
0: I mean they they also gave us the fan service that we absolutely hate and despise um the midicorians and the virgin birth we're not the but you know the the con- immaculate conception which uh, what 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 did you guys think of that I
2: actually wrote in my notes here Matthew I'm not even joking my exact words were checking Anakin's blood for midicorians hyphen Matthew with five question marks afterwards <laughs> <laughs> Um the as a kid, the midicorians never bothered me I thought they were yeah. like an explanation, I was like, alright, you know, an explanation like, you know, I didn't think, it, it, like, it didn't they weren't discussed enough for it to be like, okay, they're just using that as a metric for, like, you know, whatever. I think that, like, when they opened it up more in episode 3 to, like, the midi-core or what influences things and like, you know, that's when it became I think more solidified canon. And like I know it bothers a lot of people. It doesn't, like, it's, it doesn't bother me that much. Like, I think it, to me, it's just like a a way to tangentially explain the inner workings of the Force. But I also understand that a lot of people loved the Force because it was such this mysterious entity that didn't need really an explanation. Because
1: yeah. mm-hmm. there was no science to
2: it. There was, right, right, right.
1: Right.
2: Um, And, like, they keep saying, you know, all the mysteries of the Force. And it's like, well, you know what, you know, these midicorians I don't know. I feel like, you know, having their own will to create Anakin and, like... Um, I I, I kind of like the concept of like, um. I, I, please, someone correct me. If this is not canon anymore. I can't remember if this is EU or canon. But like that, as Palpatine and Plagueis were basically like trying to learn how to stop death and how to control life and death, then like they were meditating into the Force, and the midi basically like created Anakin in response to that dark threat. Is that canon or is that EU? Does anyone know?
0: So that's in the Darth Plagueis book.
2: Okay, so it's so that's no longer it
0: officially you. canon. It's kind of been undone. Sad. I both love it, but also that is these two Siths non-consensually impregnating a woman, which is just all kinds of creepy and uncomfortable. Um.
1: Well, yeah, but I okay. I'm gonna be clear. I did not read the book, so correct me if I'm wrong. But it sounds like Alex, you're saying that. The Force itself created Anakin as a response to the but, but, evil of
2: Plagueis and Sidious. Yeah, basically the way the book was written is they were trying to create life themselves. They wanted to influence Midichlorians to create life. And so they meditated to tip the Force towards the dark side to do that. And then the Midichlorians shut them out, rebounded, and in response – impregnate shmi creates the immaculate conception of anakin in order to fight this growing power and bring balance back to the force
0: see i wonder you may you may then be not talking about the the book that i'm thinking of because in the book i'm thinking of like when sidious meets him he's like aha what we did with Plagueis worked because he clearly thinks that what that that the embodiment of what they did of trying to make the dark he's like oh my god what we did did create life we did create a dark side life
2: well, I think that that was how Sidious interpreted it, but I believe I had read, and I could be reading it from somewhere else, but I had read that, like, the the again, I don't know what it was, it probably isn't canon anymore, but the Midicorians had created Anakin in response to Sidious, but Sidious believed that they had succeeded, and that's why, like, if you watch episode three, and he, you know, he looks directly at Anakin, as he said, creates a life. but like, he's basically hinting that, like the, like, the dark side created you. Like, I know how you were yeah. created, and that's why Papatine. Latches on to, to Anakin even at nine years old because he believes that he created him. I don't. I kind of liked that when it was still yeah. kind of canon that like you know the Force has a will of its own and was fighting its Palpatine, but Palpatine thought he created him. It, it's just. I, I
0: still wish Shmi had gotten like even Mary. I get. The it. Angel comes to Mary and says, "Do you want this?" And she says, "I yes. get it." Um, but yeah, no, I do agree. That's a that's a that's a very different version of it than than what I had read. <clears throat> I guess here's my thing about it, though, and it's the same reason I don't like the midichlorians at all. I really like agency. I really like characters being able to to take agency. And so the idea of everything for Anakin being sort of presupposed and pre-written, that it's nothing about him, it's just that, like, this is how he was created, I don't really love. And I think, frankly, if the prophecy had ever been paid off in some meaningful way, like, We've never heard the prophecy really referred to again on screen. Um, we're starting to in the shows, but we, like, I don't know. Did he fulfill the prophecy? Did he not? Did he fulfill the prophecy when he killed the Emperor? Did he fulfill the prophecy when he wiped out all the Jedi? I don't know. Um, but the other thing, and and for me, this is the thing I don't like about the midichlorians. I wanted to be a Jedi. I wanted to think yeah. that if I believed in the Force enough that, that anybody could become force-aware. And what the midichlorian setup is, it's actually decided by birth if you are or are not force-aware. And I hated that. I absolutely hated that. That's valid.
2: I think yeah, I just interpreted it more as that you could still discover it as you got older because we saw so many, like, Jedi. Or, like, if, if you're not trained or found that you could maybe discover it later in life that, like, you are. And there's no way in the real world to test for midichlorians. So that's how I convinced myself that, like, I could still mm-hmm. be a Jedi. <laughs> I still believe.
0: Yeah, that's fair. I still believe. <laughs> um, Well, let's keep going with the Qui-Gon stuff. Was he right to want to train Anakin? Like, looking back and knowing all we did. And then to I ask yes. Obi-Wan to do it in his place.
1: I had a real quick response for that, but I stand by it. I say yes. Because, I mean, yeah, there's the whole, like... Anakin was so powerful, maybe it would have been better to leave him untrained, he wouldn't have caused so much death and destruction, Ba blah, blah blah. But like you're saying, Matthew, kind of the idea of agency, like the idea that everyone deserves a chance.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like, yeah, he was too old. Yeah, he was from some random planet. Yeah, this, like, doesn't make sense. But just Qui-Gon seeing, you don't have to be the ideal Padawan candidate to be worth something. And to do great things. And, like, to me, like, as a kid, that kind of meant a lot. Of, like, yeah, this kid who was nobody didn't have much. He had all these crazy dreams, you know, about seeing angels and visiting all the planets and, like, unobtainable things. And then this super tall monk came by and made it all possible. And, like, (laughs) that is just so exciting to me. So, like... Yeah, I mean, I think you could argue in circles. Was he right? Was he not? Could go either way. But just in the idea of agency, Qui-Gon has nothing to do with Anakin's fall.
2: And Qui-Gon didn't know he was going to die. I, I am a firm, firm believer that if Qui-Gon was alive and Anakin had both Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon in his life. Because Obi-Wan was so young when he took He's on. So young. Anakin as a paddle, as a paddle one. And I think Obi Wan did the best that he could. And I think he did a pretty good job as overall. But Qui Gon is so much more experienced. I think if Qui Gon had trained Anakin, he and Qui Gon would have also protected him and picked up, I think, on Sidious more. Like, I think that Qui Gon's decision making was assumption that he would be training Anakin and would be alive. And I think it was the right one. And I think that Qui Gon trusting his own pupil, like his own son, to carry on and and train Anakin. And I think, again, I think Obi Wan did a damn good job. You know, you can't account for the most powerful evil being in the galaxy constantly inter- interfering. Like, Yeah, in any normal other period of time, Obi-Wan would have done a fine job with Anakin, I think.
1: Yeah, and kind of onto your second question about was it right to ask Obi-Wan too? And it's like, yes and no. Because mm-hmm. to an extent, it's unfair. Obi-Wan is a Padawan. He doesn't have that training. He doesn't have that expertise. He has no idea how to do this.
0: He is ready for the
2: trials.
1: But he is ready for the trials. (laughs) But on the other side of it is like Qui-Gon just laid his cards all out on the table. He just like busted his ass to get this kid accepted into the Jedi. And he knows that if he dies, they're kicking him out. Mm -hmm. Like if Obi-Wan's not there to fight for Anakin. Mm. If they're like, who wants to train him? Nobody wants to train him. They're going to send him back to Tatooine. They're going to do whatever with him. He's going to live in the slums of course not. Like, that's kind of my thoughts on It's like, yeah, it wasn't necessarily, quote, quote, fair. It doesn't necessarily make the most sense to put that burden on Obi-Wan. But at the same time, using the reasoning I have so far, like, that was his only choice to yeah. secure the future and betterment for this child who he just tore out of his entire reality. Like, Qui-Gon is realizing, like... I took this kid and I can't care for him. Like, what is going to happen? Yeah. And so that's like his next best option is like just pleading with Obi-Wan. Like, this is what I need you to do for me. I need you to prove that I wasn't wrong. Yeah. Basically.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I'm, I have very mixed feelings on it. And what you guys are saying is swaying me a lot. I, I do think that, Anna, that Obi-Wan, uh, I do think that Qui-Gon was correct. That he could have trained Anakin and kept Anakin on the light side, um, which is funny. We always hear the dark side; we never actually hear it named the light side of the Force. But I have to imagine that, like that's that's what it is. Um, I think, though, that when he dies, I do think that, and we'll get more into this in later movies. I have a very different view of Obi Wan's training than you do, Alex. I think, and and somewhat than Aaron. I do think, I think Obi Wan did the best he could. I think he was wildly unprepared for it, though, because and I think this is something that's also spelled out by a lot of the canon novels Um, but I think even in this you see it is that Qui-Gon like we talked about before part of what makes Qui-Gon the right one for Anakin is he's a rebel he's willing to go against the council he's Mm -hmm. willing to uh, interpret the spirit of the law even when the rest of the council wants to interpret the letter of the law Mm -hmm. and so for Mm -hmm. example I I think Anakin would have felt safe going to Qui-Gon and telling him I have these feelings for Padme I'm not sure what to do in a way that clearly he doesn't feel ever safe going to obi-wan with and i think that that's part like and even in in this movie establishes that obi-wan is much more rigid he he thinks qui-gon is wrong for for going against things he's like but you could be on the council he doesn't quite get it and Uh so i i do think you're right like and i but i wish he had like there had been more of like find someone who agrees with me about the living force seek that person out you know like some some more help um i think i want to be sorry i'm sorry I will also just say, though, that I'm really biased because I realized there was something I didn't say that I should have. When you asked me what was I expecting in this movie, I was expecting to see what it was that made Obi-Wan decide that he could trade Anakin the way Yoda had trained him. But I was wrong. Because to me, that was one of the most searing parts of the original trilogy, was the idea that part of why Anakin fell was the hubris of Obi-Wan Kenobi. That Obi-Wan had been trained so well by Yoda and he thought that he could do it when no one else thought he should. And so mm. I was looking to see Obi-Wan. First of all, I didn't understand why Qui-Gon was training him because we'd been told that Yoda had trained him. But I was willing to put that aside because Yoda clear, was like overseeing the training. But I was really looking for Obi-Wan to make this real connection and to believe that he could have trained Anakin and then to realize that he wasn't strong enough the way he thought he did because that's what your and to to me this is the biggest canon break and it's the one that I found most disappointing and probably so I admit I think it white colors it for me that I probably don't like it and I think you guys are making really good points that make a lot of sense if you don't have this inherent bias that I do but for me what I wanted was to see what was it that made Qui-Gon that made Obi-Wan so sure of himself and so sure of Anakin that he that he was willing to train Anakin and didn't see the corruption before it was too late and have it just be because, oh, my master wanted me to, it it just felt off.
2: So I have two points to respond to that in that I think that I agree with you that Obi-Wan was wildly unprepared and I think that episode three Obi-Wan was like ready to train episode one Anakin. If (laughs) that makes sense. Like like he just, like, I think Obi-Wan was very headstrong because he was young and then by the time he reached episode three, Obi-Wan reminds me of... He felt like a more polished version of Qui Gon. He was just—I think he was—he was still a bit rebellious of the Council, but knew how to circumvent it in a very, like, polished, like, play within the political. He was very good at playing within the political arena to get outside of the law. I also I mean, he think he is
1: the negotiator.
2: He is right? the negotiator. Yeah. Like he
1: is um, the master of tact.
2: And I also think that this is a great example, Matthew, of. Something the Clone Wars enhances extremely yes, very, about, like because so. we see Obi Wan admit many times, and I'm thinking specifically on Mortis as he talks to Qui Gon and is like, I'm trying to train the boy as best I can, but he proves headstrong and 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 angry, and, and, and I don't know what I'm doing, and like you see Obi Wan's weakness and fallibility really on display in the Clone Wars as he tries to train Anakin, and you also I think see that like his. You know, his, his ability to treat Anakin, I think, was hindered because he was so young that they're not that far apart in age. Like, mm-hmm. what, maybe yeah. 10 years, a little bit less? And um, I think that, Ana- like, Obi-Wan became such a, like, you know, Anakin tries to see Obi-Wan as a father, but Obi-Wan sees Anakin as a brother, which is a very different relationship. Yeah. And I think that because of that, like, Obi-Wan clearly knew... That the whole time that Anakin was in love with Padme. Like, he blatantly knew. And we've seen that in multiple forms of media that he's admitted to that. Like, I knew, but I ignored it. I wanted to let Anakin, like, I trusted him, I wanted to let him do what he want. And, like, while Qui Gon, I don't know what if he would have intervened, but he would have, like, had a conversation with Anakin about that. Yeah. And yeah. I think that Obi Wan's, Obi Wan saw his relationship with Anakin differently than Anakin saw his relationship with Obi Wan. They both loved each other fiercely. But it was different kinds of love that I think created the, the rift and the issues. And he, Obi-Wan wasn't giving Anakin necessarily the fatherhood he he was seeking. And so he sought that in Palpatine instead. And then you get this weird, like, I I am loyal to both of these people, but I'm going to choose Palpatine over Obi-Wan in the end. Yeah. Sorry, the Anakin-Obi-Wan dichotomy is one of my favorite things in all of star wars we'll do an episode on it please yeah. well, I,
0: I think i never thought about in those terms but i think you're exactly right that of the anakin wanted a father and obi-wan wanted a brother mm-hmm. um and yeah. that's really well put oh it's funny because i thought you're going to go somewhere different when you talk about the clone wars because for me the thing that ties it all together everything you said is very true but the other part of it that for me ties it together is Satine, and yes. you freaking cowards one day you've got to put some mention of Satine. On a big screen because I, I, what I think they were setting up in the Clone Wars, it is everything you just said is true. But also, Obi Wan carries this regret of the woman he loved, who he couldn't cross that line with uh-huh. because of his vows, and that because of that he can't he he can't bring himself to confront Anakin because of how much regret he has about what happened with Satine. Uh, which is also why I think Cody Kenobi cannot exist, because I think the whole point is supposed to be that he never did cross that. Cody Kenobi is the, um, uh, it's mentioned in, in the EU, and there's some theories about it in in canon. The child Obi Wan had with Satine, and to me, I think it's important that 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 he never crossed that line. Um, but yeah, e- w- either way, whatever you think about that, I think to me that. That story is a big part of why he can never do that. He can't bring himself to say, Anakin, you have to do something different with Padme. Um, whereas I think Obi-Wan would have been like – I think Qui-Gon would have been like, yeah, they're stupid. You can love someone. You can have a child. That's fine. Mm-hmm. Like just don't don't let it forget your vow. Don't let it forget who you are as a Jedi and attachment and all that. Be like Kanan yeah. who he doesn't know but you know what I mean. Yeah.
2: Matthew, did it, did, was it hard for you to picture – Little Anakin, who was so kind and emotional and kind of goofy, turning into Darth Vader?
0: Yes. And I, I do actually want to say one thing. Um, I don't think Joy, Jake Lloyd is a bad actor. I think he's an eight-year-old kid. And, like, to have an eight-year-old kid be a good actor is one in a million. But I do think – I was talking before about acting. I think one of the best delivered lines in the whole movie is, I'm not a slave. I'm a person and my name is mm. Anakin. I think Mm -hmm. Jake Lloyd did a great delivery of that line and I think the hate that he got is very unfortunate
1: but no yeah I I was watching oh sorry no you go ahead I was just thinking I was watching it through because like I've never really thought about Jake Lloyd's performance before and I'm going to be honest I appreciated it like I don't see it as bad acting like yeah it's chunky yeah it's a little odd but it's like He's also a kid who's been forced to work his whole life like he doesn't know how to interact with people. He doesn't know how to like like, for instance, when Qui-Gon puts him in the pod racer and he just goes, whoa, I was like, that's dumb. But also it's like, if you think about it, this kid's probably never been picked up by like a man like that. Yeah. He doesn't have a father, you know? And so, like, just that little, like, bit of caring of, like, here, let me put you in the pod racer. You don't have to climb up there yourself. Like, was just, like, a what (laughs) kind of a thing for him. Yeah.
0: And, like, do I believe that an eight-year-old kid would try, let's try spinning. That's a good move. Absolutely. (laughs) Do I find it enjoyable when an actual eight-year-old kid does something like that? Absolutely not. Do I want to see it on screen? Absolutely not. But I believe it. (laughs) Like, I don't think his acting is bad. I just think it's a dumb line. Um. But no, i I do think that was another well actually let me let me say two things here i I don't think this version of Anakin has any flaws, which I think is a little bit cowardly of the writing, but I think is fine because I think they do establish something which granted a lot of the books and the Clone Wars better sets up. But I do think they do a decent job setting up the prequels, which is that what starts him off is that. And here's where I think Obi-Wan starts failing, and even Qui-Gon to some extent, taking an eight-year-old boy away from his mother is going to be incredibly emotionally traumatizing. And telling that boy to repress his emotions and to not think about his mother, instead of like, actually healthily processing his emotions, um, is incredibly damaging to a child. And granted, our understanding of mental health has changed dramatically in the 24 years, even just between when this movie was made and, and then. But I think even then we would have been like, no, you really missed something. And so, like, I, there's nothing in this version of Anakin that makes me say, oh, yeah, he's a kid who's got some real problems. I think this movie is where we see the problems are created. And here's what I will say the book that most shapes my feelings on this is from – is what we talked about before, Darth Plagueis, which is not canon, but I do think is referenced enough. And I think the events of Attack of the Clones support this enough. In that book, we see more of the scene where Obi-Wan and Anakin go to meet with the chancellor. I think actually we don't see the scene at all in the movie, uh, but they go to meet with the chancellor and the Chancellor's talking to them about, you know, how are you doing and things like that. And the chancellor Palpatine asks Obi, you know, Anakin, how are you feeling about your mother? And he starts to say, I really miss her. And Obi-Wan stops him and says, Our feelings are in the now. We put that aside. We put attachment. Remember, Anakin put attachment aside. And it's just straight up telling an eight-year-old kid to not think about the fact that he misses his mother. Mm-hmm. And in the book, in that moment, Palpatine's like, I'm I got him. Because he can feel the emotional turmoil in Anakin that Obi Wan misses. Because yeah. But it also makes sense. Obi-Wan has never known a mother to miss. He doesn't have – he has absolutely no idea what this kid is going through. And so he thinks it is just that easy to say, just put aside your feelings and don't think about them. Um, and I think – so there's nothing about Anakin up till that moment. But that moment yeah. I, like of being taken away from his mother and not having anyone who gives him the chance to process those feelings – Which is why I think they come out, you know, in Attack of the Clones the way they do. That, to me, is very believable as the reason why he's eventually going to become Darth Vader.
1: Can I just say on that, the one person we do see acknowledge it in a healthy way is Padme.
0: Yeah. Like when they're
1: first on the ship and she goes, are you okay? And he's like, I'm cold. And so she gets him a blanket Mm -hmm. and he goes, and, and she fills it in. She goes, you miss your your mother. Like, because she gets it. She has a mother.
0: Yeah.
1: Or had. I don't know what her parents' status is at this point. Um, But like, and I think that goes so much into why Padme becomes so important to Anakin and how that just plays into his emotional turmoil and what eventually brings him to the dark side. Is like, you're telling me the one person who had sympathy for me, the one person who saw me when I was in such pain is someone I can't be with, someone I can't love?
0: Mm, yeah. That's such a good point, especially yeah, because really point. he also says, I'm cold when he's facing the Jedi. And yeah, there I'm they cold, say, sir. we can sense that your feelings dwell on your mother. Like, Padme has sympathy for him. They accuse him of his thoughts dwelling on his mother. And that's what leads to yeah. Yoda doing what is a great speech about the dark side in general, but horrible in this context of, you know, att- you know, love needs to- – attachment leads to fear, leads to suffering, etc. cetera. Um, you know, and so – yeah, I think it's such a good point that I hadn't even thought of, but you're right. It really sets up Padme as offering him what neither Obi-Wan nor the rest of the Jedi can can, can do. And we're going to talk a lot about this in Attack of the Clones. Like, I kind of think she should have left him the minute he just you know slaughtered women and children. Right. But it also helps to underline why she can at least have sympathy for him in that moment, because she's the only one in the galaxy who really understands and has sympathy for what he's going through.
2: And, and I think that And I think we had to have a whole episode and a broader discussion on this, but I think it goes to the question of like, is there a right answer in this situation? In that, what I mean by that is like, the Jedi's, all the Jedi are taken as children from their parents, so they don't have existing attachments. And the idea behind that is that if you don't have existing attachments, you can detach from the world, you can be a more effective negotiator, leader, you know... um, mediator, etc. But then if you don't allow them to experience love and compassion, what makes them better than like you know cold soldiers or, or droids or you know like 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 at, like what level does love, can love and passion play? And it can obviously take it to an extreme and we see like that Yoda is right in a certain way that if you become too attached, jealousy, anger, hatred can form there's God, I have to think there's a middle ground somewhere. And, and I feel like Obi-Wan came the closest to teetering on that with his love of Satine. He's, like – he, like, loved deeply but tried to still kind of rein it in. And I, and I think that that just ended up underscoring his failures. But I think that, like – I don't know. I just I don't know because, like, at the end, Yoda was right and Mace was right in that, you know, this boy gave into his anger, gave into his his attachments and jealousy and ends up beco- eventually killing everyone. But them forcing him to never process those emotions or allow ha- well, him to have those emotions also led to a lot of that. So I don't know. That's a very – it's a very interesting like gray area that exists within the Jedi that I think
0: – Yeah.
2: N- just – I don't know. I don't know.
0: I, I mean to quote Paul, my my often co-host, the Jedi are punks. Like the Jedi do not look good in this movie I don't think.
2: Oh, at all. At all.
1: Yeah.
2: <sighs> um. Can we have a moment for Maul, please? We haven't discussed Darth Maul yet.
0: Yeah, my guy. So, you guys know the story of how Ray Park gets cast as Maul, right? I don't know if I do. So, I the person who plays him is Ray Park. Ray Park was the 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 person who was teaching everyone else how to do all the fighting. He was the fight choreographer, yep. and he was t- he was teaching them all the like he was trying to teach uh, Liam Neeson and Ewan McGregor how to do you know fighting with with lightsabers. And they kept trying to cast Maul, and they kept trying to cast Maul, and they kept trying to cast Maul, and they never found someone. And Eventually, they were like, look, Ray, like, we need this person to be able to do all these moves. Why don't you, why don't you do it? And You're I th- the one. I think, yeah. Ray Park is an incredible like, stage, stage actor mm-hmm. fighter, an incredible his teacher. His physical
2: presence is incredible.
0: And I think when it comes to his acting and his voice delivery, he's an incredible stage combat director. Um, yeah. Like, apparently, at one point, there was a proposal to have him never say a word in the movie, I think that would have been a hundred times better because I don't think – he only has like three lines of dialogue. I don't think anything he says adds anything to the movie. Um, now we will reveal ourselves to the Jedi. Now our vengeance will be
2: – Alas, we'll have our revenge.
0: God. <laughs> a ten-year-old could write better dialogue um, and could probably deliver it better. And So, yeah, I I just want to say I think with all respect to Ray Park, I think it was incredible what he does. Um and in part, it's also because I now have Sam Whitmer to compare him to, who's just a phenomenal actor. Um, oh, but yeah, I, I, I Maul is hands down, even with the dialogue, one of the best parts of the movie.
2: I mean, I, w- I would love a way to combine Sam Whitmer's voice acting with Ray Park's physical acting would be like yeah. the perfect Maul. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I just – he was a me- he was menacing. As a child, yeah. I was a little scared of Maul. Like, he was scary. And yeah. he was brutal and forceful and raw like an animal. And he like to me like the Sith I had seen. I know we didn't really know the term Sith until that movie, but like the Dark Side users we had seen, like Vader and Palpatine were evil, but they were like it was like the, the way they carried themselves, in the aura, and like it was a lot more. It wasn't it wasn't as vicious and brutal. It was a lot more like cold and calculated. And like yeah. sure, we saw Vader like- force choke people, but like Maul just. Yeah, very just. He's a monster. Sorry, whatever.
1: He's a monster. Yes, which is literally the name of one of the episodes. I mean, talking about Savage Oppress later on in Mm -hmm. the Clone Wars is just they tried to recreate Maul and they just created a monster. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and growing up the way I did as Christian, like Maul was the physical embodiment of a demon. Mm -hmm. Like that's what a demon looked like Mm -hmm. to me. It's black. It's red. It's horns. It's evil. You yeah. know, and it's it's gonna get you. Like it's gonna kill the one thing you see as secure and safe. Like, yeah, Maul was absolutely terrifying. Yeah. Like I remember when I was younger, my brother's like, "Oh, Maul is so cool," and I was like, "No, he's so, so cool, scary." <laughs>
2: yeah, and, no, and that's at a that's a plot armor though. Like the duel was so great, except man, <laughs> the way he died or that it doesn't die, the way he gets cut in half. Like, spoiler, if you haven't seen the Clone Wars, he survives, but um <laughs> force push Obi-Wan down the shaft, just a little force push, or how do you allow this guy to leap from below you, get a lightsaber with, with the force from the side, jump over you, and cut you in half are without you making that in any that, moves?
0: Are you saying that in that moment, Darth Maul had the high ground? He did. Oh, it is he did exactly, have the high ground. Is, the, the leap that Obi Wan does is exactly the leap that o, that Anakin tries to do.
2: Yeah, exactly, and that's and, and that's how he knows it's gonna fail. Yeah, because he's like, Maul was a fucking idiot. I know how to counter this. Like, well, I don't know like, <laughs> what. And Maul just like he just like he looks so confused. He's like, what the hell is this kid doing? Like, maybe he was just so confident and cocky that he just thought he had won and it was over. But yeah, come I, on, man. I,
0: I, I, I think the the point about him being a monster is what really ties it in together. And later books and, and works in and the Clone Wars and stuff establish that he's never made a full Sith. He's just this, like, killing machine trained by Sidious. And so I think that can help explain the overconfidence and stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. But you're right. It, it, that whole scene is kind of silly. Uh, let me ask you, though, um, Aaron, because you're a Christian, I was wondering whether I should talk about this or not. Uh, now, Grin. I know you grew up in a ve- very evangelical community where the virgin birth is not often made as big of a deal. But did you connect, like Shmi getting pregnant just by the force at all with like the the virgin birth of of Jesus?
1: That's another thing that I truly didn't know until two years ago.
0: Mm, like it
1: just. It didn't sink in. I didn't think much about it. Like, we're talking about midichlorians. We're talking about Immaculate Conception. And I'm like, when are we going to get back to the lightsaber and the pod races? (laughs) Like, I just didn't care, I guess. Yeah. And, like, that's something in hindsight that I, like, think a lot about is, like, I mean, the parallels. You said yourself you've, like, done parallels and theses on between, like, Christianity and the Jedi or just Star Wars in general. And I think that there's a lot of universes that base things off of Christianity you know Narnia to be said for one of the yeah. biggest ones um but yeah it's it's a parallel I never drew when I was younger yeah and really like in it with the evangelicalism
0: yeah and, and like I said, I know, like, it totally makes sense. And I know that virgin birth is much more of a Catholic thing and you know, a lot of Protestantism.
1: Oh, it's very it's very much a thing, the way I grew up, too.
0: Is it? Okay. Okay. Well, that, that, that's interesting. Because to me, yeah, I was applying for seminary at the time I saw it. I was very theologically minded. And my response was, like, I don't want to see Christianity in every story. Like, granted, I've always been a very progressive Christian. And I kind of hate, like, the forcing Christianity on others. But I was like... This is our story. Like, make up your own. Stop copying this one. I hated it in the the Harry Potter books, which you know I almost never talk about anymore because of how awful J.K. Rowling is. But I'll just mention it there. I, I and granted, virgin birth stories long predate Jesus. Like, they're they're very present in a lot of other things. And in some ways, the the impregnation of Shmi, I think, is actually more like connected to Greek mythology in some ways and the way that like Zeus, you know, the, like uh, you know, Athena is, you know, just sort of created inside Zeus and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, But yeah, I didn't love it at the time. Um, but it's very interesting to me that you did not make that connection. And that tells me that maybe it was not as Christological as I thought it was. It was just that I was thinking of everything in those terms. Uh, yeah. When I was, uh, when I saw it. Um, There's a lot more we could say uh, and we're going to probably keep talk referring back to it as we go through some of the other movies. But any of the last things either you want to bring up?
1: Um, I Something that really stuck out to me this time that I've never put together. Whoa, what's the exact shit? I shall do what I must is not Obi-Wan's line. That's Qui-Gon's line.
0: Mm, yeah.
1: And that is a line I see oh. cut so many times in so many like... Um, edits on TikTok about how badass Obi-Wan is, you know, when he says, I shall do what I must. But that's what Qui-Gon says to him when he's like, hey, this doesn't make sense. Like, the Jedi Council is, like, not about this. Like, mm. this kid. And Qui-Gon looks at him, he says, I shall do what I must.
0: Oh. Yeah.
1: And, like, I don't know. That's just something cool I had never really put together, is that hearing that... um, Phrase And that ideal from Qui-Gon being twisted to the way of Obi-Wan using it to, I will kill you if I have to, because I created you. Mm. Yeah. And I think that's just a really interesting kind of evolution of that phrase.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, especially because in the... um, Yeah, what was the name? yeah no, you're right. I never even put that together. But the fact that he gets that from Qui-Gon makes a lot of that's
2: sense. That's so cool. I didn't realize that either. Um I have a few quick little notes I wanted – I'll just briefly breeze through. I wanted to point out the that week there was never a point to bring them up. But one thing, at the beginning of the movie, the Force Sprint we see, that is a trick used one time in all of Star Wars yeah. and never used again. Such a bummer. And I thought that was a cool little trick. And Obi-Wan could have used it to get through the ray shields to fight with Qui-Gon at the end. And that feels like a sin to me. Just wanted to bring that out. Um, other thing, we didn't really talk – we didn't talk about Jar Jar like literally at all. Um, I just want to say that, like, you know, I I think the Jar Jar was a p- very, like, in poor taste created and poorly written character. But Ahmad Best, I think, is a great actor. And I'm really happy that, like, he has gotten the revival he's gotten in Star Wars and the redemption that, like, the fan base is loving him a lot. Because he got a lot of hate, unnecessarily. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm just I'm, – I'm happy that, like, he's back in the fold in, in a really positive way.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Um, and right. then – Two other quick points. One is that I would have loved to see the aftermath of Valorum being booted out. Like, the vote happens, and yeah. that's it. I would love to see, like, conversations. Like I liked seeing Palpatine legally take over the Republic, and I wanted to see more. Like, I wanted to see, just Palpatine of Valorum, like, a conversation between the two of them? Like, or just something that, like, shows what happens there, I think would have been really cool to, like hash out that a little bit more because there's a vote of no confidence he just sits down in like despair and that's it we never see that motherfucker again except for like one two minute clip in the clone wars years later
0: yeah (laughs) literally um and and again i think that's where like i I would love a like west wing scandal empire type show about you know those 10 years of politics and behind the scenes dealing yes because what what we wind up getting is so ham-fisted in terms of like, oh, enter the bureaucrats now, but don't worry. I'll be strong enough to cut through the bureaucracy. Oh, but no, you can't – like there's no consistency to what Palpatine is saying. And granted, it's because he's duplicitous, but like it, it's just so obviously duplicitous.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, last – super quick two things. One, one is just the Gungans versus the droid fight, in my opinion, is the worst battle in all of Star Wars. That's my take. It is boring. I never had interest in it even as a kid. It just felt silly and drawn out, and it's all a hundred percent CGI, and none of it holds up. And That's true, it fa- is all CGI. Very last thing I will say, and this is one of my favorite things in the movie that I think is never really talked about, is the symbolism at Qui-Gon's funeral. They line up and they, they pan to show this. Anna is at the funeral. And it's Anakin, Obi-Wan, Padme, and Palpatine in that order. And it shows that the only two people standing between Anakin and Palpatine, Anakin in the darkness, is Obi-Wan and Padme. And when he – and when those two were cast aside, Palpatine wins. And I just thought yeah. that was a really cool thing they did, like sp- specifically putting those two between Palpatine and Anakin. Like that, that, that is the only – that is the thin line holding Anakin back. Yeah. That, that is one. cool. Yeah. That's my last right. piece.
0: and, and I, I had never put that together, but you're really right. That, that is so true. I just want to say my last point would be – and it's something that's weird because I thought about it uh, from something very different. What you said about the human Gungan battle, um, what I really have come to believe is you cannot do scary and slapstick at the same time. Um, yeah. I think they wanted to make the droids cute and ridiculous. Which in some ways makes their wanton slaughter really problematic in some ways. But but even putting that aside, I'll get to that when you get, get, talk, talk about Attack of the Clones and and Revenge of the Sith. What really solidified this for me is reading and then watching the Percy Jackson books and now the new series on Netflix, which is really good. Uh, had some the, series is with Plus. Sagan? the series is on Disney+. Say
2: again? The series is on Disney+.
0: Yeah, the series is on Disney+, Plus. thank you. Um, and I'm going to do some uh, – by the time this airs, I will have – uh, a couple of days either after or before this airs, I will have posted an episode on superhero ethics all about that. But one thing that, that got me thinking about that is in the Percy Jackson books – the monsters are never really scary because they're always done with a kind of childish slapstick to them, and the slapstick is really good. You know, for example, the Minotaur is wearing like you know men's tidy whiteies. Tidy whiteies, exactly. And so, whereas in the in the TV show on Disney Plus, the Minotaur is terrifying, and you get a kind of a little bit of a funny moment, but they don't focus on the tidy whiteies. They focus on how freaking terrifying it is, and I think that that was really brought home to me. And I was thinking about that show a lot and how the show managed to like kind of move away from the slapstick into pure scariness and something I think would really helped. cuz I think slapstick works in a book when it's supposed to be your bad guy it doesn't work on screen and I think that's the thing yeah. is like they they wanted to make the droid slapstick and that's why there's never any sense of menace from them so All right, with that, um, I need to run because I need to – I'm actually recording that episode about uh, Percy Jackson in 20 minutes, and I need to eat some food. So thank you both so much. Uh, All the ways to contact and find Aaron and Alex are in the show notes. Uh, They both do incredible stuff with photography and cosplay and awesome things like that. Uh, Of course, uh, in the show notes also are all the ways to find me and to find this podcast. Uh, You can – tweet at uh Aaron directly apparently but you can also just find us directly uh the email for the podcast the twitter all that stuff is right in the show notes and you can find us it's a great way to give us feedback uh Aaron is raising her hand
1: do not tweet at me i don't use twitter okay dm okay. me on instagram just saying i go. mean please tweet at me i won't see it
0: there you go thank, I'm sorry. thank you for the correction <laughs> all that information is in the show notes uh let us know what you think would love your feedback we'll talk about your feedback as we go along so aaron alex thank you so much to our members normally would have bonus content for you here we won't but we now have whole episodes for you please think about becoming a member for everybody else thank you so much we have spoken
2: stay classy coruscant
0: i like it
1: a blockade is perfectly legal
0: Oh my God! Now I'm thinking of the Nixon line of the, you know, the trade blockade is legal. If I, as the pre- if a person that says it's legal, that makes it legal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.